and welcome to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. I am, once again, the man who knows too much about Batman, and here with me is my co-host. It's Andrew, everybody. Do you even know what the fuck is going on? It's ready. It's time. It's fucking, let's do it. Fucking Batman. Engelhart, right? That's what we're talking about. <laughs> and down below is... It's me, Zachary Jackson Brown. <laughs> and you know what, Andrew? When I said Batman, I meant forever. <laughs> yes. Very good. Yes. I love that. We finally you got to from say the best. it. So we have a very <laughs> special exclusive episode for you guys, which is a look at one of the script treatments for what would have become Batman 1989 that very few people have read. In fact, we call this episode the Batman movie treatment from 1986. So we can pull oh, up that man. art there from beautiful, beautiful art by our very own Zachary Jackson Brown doing the Keaton art. So You're seeing go. more of the upgrade in the YouTube, uh, but we will keep this podcast friendly as well, everybody. <laughs> exactly. It's still, it's still a podcast. So uh, just to go into it then, this episode is a sequel to our most popular episode on YouTube, The Batman Script from 1982. And for those who don't know the development of this and where this fits in, or maybe you haven't seen this episode, I'm just going to do a quick recap, which ties into what we have to talk about anyway, because this episode, as well as the beginning of all this, ties into a comic book writer named Steve Englehart. Oh, shit. Now, in 1977, <laughs> Steve Englehart wrote uh, an arc in detective comics and teamed up with artists Marshall Rogers and inker Terry Austin that we have dubbed Strange Apparitions. Uh, it's Englehart who claims that this arc is the basis for what would become the 1989 Batman movie. Now, back in Halloween, we did a whole episode uh, called Is Batman 89 a Ripoff of Strange Apparitions? Once again art by Zach, uh, with that Joker, <laughs> the vampire Joker there. Uh, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it was okay, man. It was okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like whatever. <laughs> uh, and then sometime after that, because keep in mind, this arc is from 1977. Sometime after that, though, it's Michael Uslan, the producer of the Batman movies, who begins his 10-year journey to bring Batman to the big screen, and those are the scripts we covered in the Batman script from 1982 episode. Uslan himself writes a treatment called Return of the Batman before eventually helping to hire Superman the movie writer Tom Mankiewicz on the script that's simply called The Batman, hence the title The Batman script from 1982. This was written around... 82 to 84, and Gremlins director Joe Dante was going to direct it and was interested in having John Lithgow join and be the Joker. A lot of people say that Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy would have been Batman and Robin in this script, but oh, yes. I haven't heard That's... any evidence that connects them to this specific script by Mankiewicz. <laughs> Just putting that out there. It seems like that oh, was connected to a comedic version, but the Mankiewicz version is completely different. Okay. Uh, so after Mankiewicz's script, Tim Burton's brought in, and he and his girlfriend at the time, Julie Hickson, wrote another treatment that was pretty insane that we covered in this episode. Still not what the studio was looking for, and that's when they bring in the original writer of the comic run, Strange Apparitions, Steve Englehart. In 1986, he writes these two treatments that we're going to go over today, and he's been on the record saying that the 89 movie is based off of the treatments and his original Strange Apparitions run, claiming that the credited screenwriter Sam Hamm based everything on his work. So, uh, for those who've been with us for a while, you would also know the next one. And after this is the infamous masterpiece that is Bob Kane's The Return of Batman Treatment. Man, we are just chuckling in that photo, man. Uh, just a bunch of chuckleheads. It is comedic gold, yes. So, uh, Bob Kane try, took a crack at a treatment after the ones that we're going to go over, but we also have an episode on that. 
And then we finally get to Sam Hamm writing that draft as we covered in that episode. And Hamm himself is returning to the Burtonverse with the Batman 89 comic book that's coming out pretty soon. So, again, Englehart claims that Hamm sort of took his arc and his treatments, turned Rupert Thorne into boss Carl Grissom, played by Jack Palance, and took Silver St. Cloud and turned her into Kid Basinger's Vicky Vale. We decided in our episode on Strange Apparitions that the movie wasn't really based off of Strange Apparitions, but I always wondered about these treatments he was talking about. All we had were a couple sample pages that are on his official website, and we have a transcript of the ending of a second treatment that he gave out in an interview. But we were lucky enough, because we have some fantastic fans, we were lucky enough to have a fan write to us who had the script treatments and sent them to us. And our big thanks go to that fan who wishes to remain anonymous on that but uh, with the 89 this comic a, coming up. Thank you for that. Yes. That's crazy. Huge this thing. is how it's a, a, a superhero stuff pod exclu- exclusive, right? Yeah, it is. Because this has not been gone over by anybody before. So yeah. big thanks to you uh, out there. And of course, with the 89 comic on the horizon and Michael Keaton coming back in The Flash, we decided it is time for us to dive in and follow up on our popular episode from the Batman script from 1982, way back in 2019, which is pretty much the unofficial pilot for superhero stuff you should know off of the Superhouse yes. podcast, I would say. Indeed. So, let's go into it. Uh, there are two treatments, as I said. So, basically, both of them are both called The Batman Movie Treatment by Steve Englehart. And the first one is dated March 21st, 1986. We open not with the death of the Waynes, but with the death of the Graysons. Mm. Yes, indeed. So Andrew and I covered this a little bit in the Patreon for our... We did the whole dive into the Origins of Robin episode, but in Englehart's original opening in the circus show in Gotham Garden, which is like the Madison Square Garden for Gotham City, the Graysons are on the trapeze when John Grayson starts laughing and laughing harder and laughing so hard that he drags his wife Mary down and they fall and they succumb to the effects and they die in front of their son, Dick Grayson. Uh... Yeah, I know. Dick is wearing an all-red costume, as you can see in this comic book panel, uh, which will become Robin's red vest, according to Englehart's treatment. Now, this is one of the first instances, or the first instance in history I could find, where someone said Dick Grayson's acrobat costume is meant to foreshadow his turn as Robin. Because we see this all the time now, especially, you know, Batman Forever, they're flat out wearing the Robin suit when they're up there. But so you're saying Englehart's a genius. <laughs> <laughs> he is somewhat. Uh, no, great, great comic book writer. Kind of has some bold claims in terms of what took stuff from his, but we'll get into that. Uh, but Dick Grayson sees the death of his parents, and lo and behold, who shows up but Batman. Uh, indeed. And indeed. Batman, of course, meets the event manager of the Gotham Garden. This is not Haley of Haley's Circus. This is Silver St. Cloud. So this is how Englehart oh, sort of ties shit. Silver St. Cloud into it, is that she's the one who is tied into the circus, which I thought was very smart. Uh, Batman also meets Dick Grayson at this point, and Dick Grayson demands to see the bodies of his parents, and Batman, who can of course relate to this, allows him to do so, and as he does, he has his own flashback to 16 years earlier in 1970, when he and Thomas and Martha Wayne were walking back home from, quote, any Warner's movie from the period that evokes high adventure... <laughs> So, again, let's remember... And has 10-plus brides. <laughs> that's right. That's a Bob Kane thing. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that's true. Let's remember, Mark of Zorro had not been established quite yet as the movie that the Waynes saw. That was established in The Dark Knight Returns, which was published the same year, but that was a Frank Miller idea. 
So it's Excalibur to me from now on, though. <laughs> Fix his X Snyder. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm done with Zorro. It's all about Excalibur now. Here, watch this movie, young Bruce, with all the blood and gore and some incest <laughs> with Morgan Le Fay. <laughs> yeah, why yeah. not? Englehart has details that the movie is a reward to Bruce for getting straight A's in school, sort of planning the fact that Bruce is very smart. Uh, and he says the Waynes are wealthy but prefer walking with people to riding in a limo. So they'd rather walk than sort of flaunt their money to everybody. So I thought that was uh, interesting. Yeah. I gotta say, <laughs> this is really solid so far, though. Yeah, yeah. Real solid. But but who killed the Graysons? Well, we'll get, I mean, to, we'll get back to that. Get back to that. <laughs> Crazy exactly. quilt? Gotta be patient. Correct. Gotta get back to that. All right. You know, they were they were laughing, man. Who do you think is in this picture? Uh, I don't know. Ten yeah. man. Zach's like okay. they were laughing Let's... at Crazy Quilt. They saw him and they just they that's just right. couldn't take it. So that's how they died. <laughs> I would like to see Crazy Quilt in uh, live action. Oh, yes. uh, maybe in Suicide Squad, the next Suicide Squad movie from James Gunn. Well, shit, why not? We can only dream. Uh, already doing Polka Dot Man. Engelhart you know. <laughs> uh, has kind of a fake out here where it says, quote, crazy street bum comes up, but Thomas deals with him humanely. Now, I think this is interesting because I think dramatically, if you know or you're in on the Batman mythos, you think, oh shit, it's going to happen. And then it's a fake out. But I also think if you don't even know that, it kind of plants who Thomas Wayne is in traditional continuity. He's the philanthropist type. He, he's the nice guy. He's not supposed to be. He's not the Thomas Wayne from the Joker movie. Uh, he's the one who's going to, as he says, deal with it humanely. So I thought that was good. And also sort of makes you care about him right before he gets shot. And lo okay. and behold, that's what happens. So uh, they get confronted with a thug with a gun demanding Thomas's wallet. This is not the 1989 movie, so it's not the Joker here. It just says a thug with a gun. Uh, Thomas... It says that Thomas tries to flip the wallet into the guy's face to sort of fake him out and, you know, start a fight. And, you know, people thought Jeffrey Dean Morgan's Thomas Wayne was quick to get into a fight. But this, yeah, yeah. as we can see, this has been planted before. In the original comic panel, Thomas Wayne is leaping at the thief, uh, again, from the Bill Finger origin. So this, there's precedent okay. for this. Uh, and he and the Joe Chill stand in sort of struggle for the gun only for Thomas to get shot. Martha screams. If, you, if you're pretty sure to. you're going to die... You're going to take some chance. I have Might absolutely well, yeah. no problem with Thomas Wayne trying to defend himself and his family. Yeah, yeah. It's people that are against this idea. I, I just don't know about them. I feel like this mainly came up because of that shot of Jeffrey Dean Morgan closing his fist in Batman vs. Superman. Yeah. But again, I'm like, that's right out of The Dark Knight Returns. That's in the comics. Just because this is the first time this has happened in live action doesn't mean that it's completely, like, it's discounted. When does so. The Dark Knight Returns come out? Well, same year as this 1986 is a huge year for batman in terms of the development of this character because you've got the Engelhart treatments the bob kane treatment and sam ham script at the same time as so who stole what from who yeah at the same time as miller doing the uh the dark knight returns but again bill finger as you can see in this uh, original comic book panel has thomas wayne leaping forward at the thief so you could say they all stole it from bill finger that's true okay we know Bob yeah. Kane definitely been did. shot and he's just falling forward. I don't know. <laughs> As he's saying, leave her alone, you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, if you really feel like you're going to die, there's no way out of it. There's, yeah. This is totally fine. This yeah. is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, just throw your hat at them. <laughs> <laughs> or the wall. Do, do something. Uh, so right out of the comics, it says that Bruce gives the killer, quote, the most intense gaze of hatred ever recorded. Which Wait a second. This is a, that would be a great setup if... Uh, whenever he's thinking of throwing batarangs, he thinks of the time his dad his threw the, the wallet. wallet. 
damn. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's something. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce gives the killer, quote, the most intense gaze of hatred ever recorded as the killer makes his escape without shooting the boy and leaves him alone with the death, you know, with his dead parents. We then go to the funeral. Uh, it says Alfred is 40 years old here, which, again, seems young, but that's because we're used to, like, really old Alfred. And a lot of This is young like Bruce, 70. too. Yeah, and this is young Bruce, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Alfred, as determined by Thomas's will, is Bruce's guardian, which, again, is a newer idea because it wasn't really until the 80s as well that they decided Alfred has been there since the beginning. The very first time Alfred was introduced... He shows up around the time Batman and Robin are already operating. So this is a huge... Again, the 80s, are a lot of stuff shifts when it comes to the Batman character. Okay. Uh, but Bruce, after the funeral, goes into a dark room, lights four candles, and says, I swear by the spirits of my parents to avenge their deaths by spending the rest of my life warring on all criminals. Basically, the exact line from the Bill Finger comic. Uh, okay. It then says, quote, A sudden wind blows out the candles. The window curtains flare like a cape. And then the credits take place over the streets of Gotham before presumably we catch back up to present day at the circus where we find out who killed the Graysons. Zach, because I know that you were waiting for that. <laughs> that big reveal. <laughs> I, you know, it seems really familiar, but I'm not sure. Yes. So uh, it feels a little TV show like to me to be like, oh, like, let me do this flashback. And then after a very long ass period of time we're like back here i'm like okay that is a long cold open for a film (laughs) for a batman film yeah the one that's going to change everything yeah it's solid though i like this yeah yeah Yeah. so uh we're back at the circus dick wants to find the man who killed his parents and the police arrive and it's not just commissioner gordon but this was a surprise to me chief o'hara oh shit chief o'hara is in this i believe this is the only version where chief o'hara shows up in any of the scripts leading up to the 89 movie. He's not uh, in the comics, right? He's not. It was a, he was a creation for the 66 show. Uh, funny enough, I think yeah. Englehart likes him, though, because he does put O'Hara in the Dr. Phosphorus opening of Strange Apparitions. So he okay, is kind yeah, of a yeah. fan of this. Uh, O'Hara is not the old Begora type of, you know, stuff. <laughs> he's like Eckhart 66. in this version. He's, uh, he's actually more of the Bullock type role where he okay. disapproves of Batman. He doesn't like the fact that GCPD has to rely oh. on this vigilante. So I thought that was cool because Englehart yeah. is like, yes, he's from the 66 show, but I'm doing something new with him. I'm doing something that fits this more serious take. So I think uh, that was... A good choice on his part. Batman looks at the rictus grin on John Grayson's face, which reminds him of a certain criminal who's been called the Joker, who's said to treat crime as a game. So there's your reveal, Zach, in terms of who it is. <laughs> Never saw it coming. Uh, Batman has not met Joker yet, but he is going to go off and find out who knows anything about this. So he goes and he interrogates a criminal, and he hangs him upside down to find out more about the Joker. And the criminal only seems to know that whoever the Joker is, he's planning something big. And before Batman can get more information, the criminal's other goons try to shoot at him. So Batman drops the dude. Well, he doesn't drop him to the ground. He just, you know, <laughs> he doesn't kill him. And he, Michael again. Keaton would. He says, <laughs> swear to me. <laughs> Batman, Batman beats all of them up, leaves, and when the criminal peers out the window, he sees that Batman is nowhere to be seen. A possible loose nice. connection to the 89 thing where the mugger looks over, you know, after I'm Batman, he looks over across and he finds that there was nobody in the alley. But that's such a loose connection because that's such a Batman thing in general. That's not something the 89 movie came up with where he disappears. Right. I'm going to tell you something, Ben. When yeah. I was a very, very little kid, 
I thought that the guy that looked over the ledge and saw him disappear and started laughing, I thought that was the Joker. Uh, Even I though I that. knew that <laughs> you see him and it's Jet Nicholson and he turns, mm-hmm. I thought that that might have been Jet Nicholson too. I was very young, so I just didn't realize it was two different people, but I was like, oh, he saw Batman and now he's laughing. He must be, he's going to become the Joker. So There's also that fake that out with the the family in the beginning that they make you think is the Wayne. That's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, next we meet Bruce Wayne. Bruce is identified as 27 years old. He's, quote, handsome, athletically built, and well-turned-out and urbane, not a fop. He is played as a separate character, not, not the Batman in disguise. <laughs> Mr. Mom, not a fop, he says. <laughs> wow. Let me just make sure I get that out there. That's what Englehart says in the 1986 treatment, yes. Not some pans. <laughs> Fucking man's man. So Bruce goes to Gotham <laughs> Gardens as Bruce Wayne and meets Silver St. Cloud for the first time as Bruce. Uh, Dick Grayson is still training in the background, and he's still at the circus as he wants the circus to go on. So this is a little different from tradition, since usually Dick Grayson, like once his parents are gone from the circus, he's just like, I can't be here. But in this version, Dick Grayson is like, well, I got to keep going in respect for my parents because like, I have to have something to do. So that's interesting. Uh, during the conversation between Bruce and Silver, Silver seems attracted to Bruce and wants to see him that night at the performance because the circus is still going on after the deaths of the Graysons. Uh, but Bruce is all business and declines because he's basically here in Batman mode. He's trying to investigate stuff just in the guise of Bruce Wayne. Uh, Silver is shown to be charitable. She's donating half the profits, profits to establish a trust fund for Dick Grayson so that Dick can stay at the circus. He has no other living relatives and she wants to take care of him. Now, I really like this personally because it shows an element of Silver that Bruce would be attracted to. Her compassion. Okay. It, it really, it's something, because in the original arc, I'm just like, okay, I kind of get it. Silver St. Cloud, she's hot, but like, why is Batman in love with her? And I think yeah. Angle Why, why her over all the other girls that were probably. Yeah, yeah. Like, why him. is it Why yeah. is it her that he's in love with? And I think yeah, yeah. he actually gets an opportunity in 86, almost 10 years after he wrote the original arc, to sort of flesh that out in these specific treatments. So I really like this element. It's an element I think was missing from a lot of the other versions where Bruce falls for a civilian that we've seen in the other Batman movies, where it's just like, okay, but why her? It's, it's mainly just because she's Kim Basinger or she's Nicole Kidman. Like, it's it's not really some strong reason outside of just the fact that she's the main star, main female star of that movie. Uh, so Bruce then gets to meet Dick Grayson and expresses sympathy for his loss. And in a beat similar to Batman Forever, Dick says that he doesn't want to move. He wants to stay in Gotham because he wants to find the man who murdered his parents. Uh, Bruce leaves and comes back immediately as Batman. <laughs> okay. Uh, now this is interesting because Englehart sort of fills in the gaps here, where as Batman in the '89 movie has only been around for a couple months, because uh, remember he says just eight sightings in just under a month. That Batman is still relatively new. Here, Dick says Batman's been in Gotham for three years and apparently okay. already an international celebrity. It also says he's already caught the penguin and, quote, that really spooky Catwoman case. I don't know what's spooky about Catwoman but in comparison <laughs> to Joker, but okay. Um, yeah. Batman brings up, you know, his guilt that his, pre- his presence may have attracted villains like the Joker and that he feels responsible for the Grayson's deaths. This is interesting because the whole idea of Batman sort of attracting other villains, more colorful villains, a lot of people are just like, oh, that's a long Halloween idea. But I'm like, eh, there was that beforehand. And this is proof of that. It's in the 86 treatment here. Yeah. 
Um, so Dick, in a reversal from Batman Forever, refuses to let Batman take the blame for the Grayson's death. So that's interesting. I actually find that kind of refreshing. We don't need this pointless mm-hmm. guilt and angst. Batman is kind of has a momentary feeling of it or almost apologizes to this kid who he relates to. And Dick Grayson's like, no, it's whoever killed my parents. It's his fault for doing that. Not uh, a fault so far, Ben. Yeah. This is Englehart's script. Not a fault yet. Yep. Uh, Batman interviews him on his background, his athletic skills, his grades, and it's almost like he's screening this kid. And then he says, okay, maybe I can actually use you for an operative for stakeouts. If you want to fight for justice, if you want to help find the man who killed your parents, then let's work together. If you really That means he's going to be Robin, Zach. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but he didn't say, also, I have these cute little green booties for you <laughs> and a set of chainmail green panties for you to put on with a so- tiny little yellow cape. I don't know. So how, how are we supposed to know then? <laughs> yeah, it's not Robin. Just some kid. He needs the word Robin tattooed on his forehead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My dad said blue in like a Robin. I think we're on to something yeah. now. Um, okay, so Dick agrees to work with him, and Batman's like, all right, then you've entered my world. And so he brings Dick into, whoops, he brings Dick into the Batmobile. And in the Batmobile, he blindfolds him, and they go on a little bit of a drive. And he blindfolds a kid <laughs> is and this takes him into said, a dark forest. Batman. <laughs> it's not what you think. Yeah. Uh, on the drive, he delivers all the exposition about like his origin, on how he became a crime fighter, but without revealing that he's Bruce Wayne. Basically, saying, you know, my parents were killed too by criminals, and that's why I do this. That type of stuff. Uh, and he goes down this paved road, and it says that there is like a corpse of a tree that drops on a pivot. And a metal roadway slides into place, like a hidden road, um, and that leads into the Batmobile entrance. So it's a little different from what we saw in the in the '89 movie, where it's like a hologram cave wall. So uh, anyway, we get to the Batcave, and it says it has trophies from Batman's career. Uh, so it does not say that much about if there's a penny and dinosaur, but I think that's what he's trying to hint at. Which again, I'm kind of like, it's cool that we see it, but. At this point in his career, it would have been cooler if we saw how he got them. But uh, yeah. considering the fact that they very rarely made it into the movies anyway, I'll take what I can get. Anyway, uh, Batman starts training Dick Grayson. Now, keep in mind, Dick does not know Bruce's Batman right now. He just thinks, okay, Batman's taking me under his wing. And he's training him specifically in, quote, the techniques of good shadowing from in front, from a moving car, and in Dick Grayson's future case, a bike. So oh, man, this rich guy is good at karate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, he doesn't know it's Bruce Wayne. He just thinks that he's Batman. Uh, <laughs> oh, Dick yeah. wants to learn combat techniques. He wants to learn how to fight. And Batman says, no, if you shadow well, you won't need any combat techni- techniques. So he doesn't want to put this kid in danger in, you know, a brightly colored costume so that he can put all the fire. He doesn't want to do that right now. That is, <laughs> that's that's kind of interesting. Like if you're good at sneaking around enough, yeah. let's get the ninja part down pretty much and then and then maybe you'll learn like yeah that's that's cool that's like in the professional the first weapon you shall learn is the sniper rifle yes the last the knife the best way to win the fight is not get into the fight at all you know that type of stuff yeah yeah so, yeah that that i mean that would be refreshing to see in a batman movie actually. yeah it sounds yeah. like the most reasonable version of batman i will say this yeah um Englehart's Batman is usually a lot more, feels like he's more mentally healthy compared to mm. obviously the Frank Miller version, but a lot of the just more popular interpretations. But even in the Strange Apparitions arc, 
like sure he goes through heartbreak with the with silver sand cloud and stuff but like that's a normal part of everyday life he's not he's not having a monologue and flashback to his parents deaths every five seconds you know like it, it's very different uh in it so that, that's something that's unique about Englehart's batman and could be why Englehart sort of got issues with dc when they brought him back was because his batman didn't quite fit with their modern batman anymore okay so uh i think that's interesting when you look back at it and see like oh like his like he's the type of batman who you would kind of want to be if you ever want to be a batman you probably wouldn't want to be the really tortured one that much because it would kind of suck you'd want to kind of have a little bit of fun with it and be somewhat reasonable and be somewhat healthy doing all this stuff so on the spectrum of the spectrum of batman 89 and adam west he's a few clicks towards adam west a few yeah he's kind of in the middle yeah 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 okay yeah now, Englehart uh, wrote that sequel to The Laughing Fish we talked about, right? In <laughs> yes, Atlantis? The Fishing Laugh. Yes. All right. What happened? Because this sounds pretty good. And then... Uh, he didn't even like that one. So okay. I think he just didn't have a... He was just told, give Aquaman and Joker a crossover thing. It was just like, a fuck okay. if I know. Okay. And then writes this. But uh, here... Yeah, here it's just like, hey, it's If a that's movie. what you're told, you would yeah. write Laughing Fish, though. I mean, if that's your mandate. The Fishing Laugh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like here it's yeah. a movie version of stuff that he wrote. So I think he's going to want to it's there's something important to this. People are going to watch this. People who have never read his comics are going to watch this. So it makes sense that he would put his all into this. Um so Batman then drops Dick back off at the circus. Again, Dick usually doesn't return there in the other versions, but here Batman specifically drops him off because he wants him to be on the lookout just in case the Joker attacks the circus again. I like this because mm-hmm. it's again this is all tied in together a lot of the other versions it's just like Robin is just kind of just thrown in there right but here it's just like oh the story is about the origin of Robin and through the origin of Robin we get the origin of Batman at the same time so this is really cool uh, during the circus performance Batman sees that Silver is on a date or kind of has a male companion and it sort of grows a little jealous of the life that he could have so uh, good character insight there uh, and that's all before a man in the audience starts laughing himself to death. Oh, well. And next to him is a Joker card. Silver St. Cloud is the first on the scene, and she's about to pick up the Joker card, only for Batman to arrive and stop her. He reveals that the sides of the card are razor sharp, and likely what poisoned the victim. He also kind oh, of flirts shit. with Silver a bit, and says, quote, a woman with as lovely a smile doesn't need any augmentation. So well, he just says it out of nowhere. Like, all right, I, I wasn't really thinking that, but this is Batman's game, folks. He's just like, you know, don't touch the card; it's poison. Also, you're kind of hot. You're pretty, like it's <laughs> <laughs> pretty lady. So, uh, people in the audience tell Batman, "Hey, there was a balloon vendor here earlier," and Batman sees him and chases after him. And one man tries to stop this balloon vendor and ends up getting hit with red liquid in the face that makes him laugh himself to death as well. So Batman's like, okay, that's definitely the Joker. And Batman tracks him down and meets, quote, the hideous face of the Joker for the first time. And we get the first Batman-Joker fight, appropriately enough, at the circus, which makes a ton of sense if you think about it. Um, no, that's that's great. I yeah. think that's yeah, he great. He could really blend in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman and the Joker have their first fight here using circus props and animals until Joker leaps into a clown car that's the size of a toy and zooms away (laughs) and Batman chases after him. Batman... Batman That's awesome, uses, actually. <laughs> so I'm uses, still saying no fault with the script. <laughs> no. He uses a series of trampolines and teeter boards to race the car and lasso it uh, just before it careens into a tunnel. But when Batman catches up to the toy car, it's empty. 
Joker has made his escape. And you can totally hear like Joker's laugh too, taunting him once he finds the the empty car. It's it's great. Uh, the circus clowns say that the Joker must have gone through a trap door or something that they usually use for their performances. So anyway, Batman has failed to catch the Joker here. Gordon and O'Hara arrive again, and the investigation reveals that the dead man in the audience was the owner of a major bakery. And Gordon remarks that Joker has something against the circus. Uh, as well as bread, I guess. And that's when uh, <laughs> he turns, he finds that Batman is gone, which is classic. 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 Joker uh, has celiac disease. Yes. <laughs> he is against Jeez. bread. He has to go gluten-free. That's right. <laughs> He's going against big bread. Uh, Batman uses the red bat phone in the Batmobile, another 60s callback, uh, as he cruises the streets and we meet Alfred back at home, who's said to be 55. Again, youngest Alfred ever. Uh but uh, right, the bat right. says the bat phone that Alfred uses is hidden behind false books in a Citizen Kane-like study. And Alfred okay. is asked to sort of look up something that comes to Batman's mind. And uh, Alfred sort of reads off uh, a quote that he's heard from uh, Juvenal about, uh, about people. So let's go uh, ahead with that. Indeed. The people that once bestowed commands, consulships, legions... And all else now concerns itself no more and longs eagerly for just two things, bread and circuses. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Beautiful no notes. poetry. So what is this quote? This quote comes from... What uh, is this quote? <laughs> this quote comes from Deci Decimus Junius Juvenalis a.k.a. Juvenile uh. of Rome, the great satirist, who was a real-life Roman character, a real-life Roman person. He wrote, uh, back that ass up. Yes. Oh, that's Juvenile. Yes. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Juvenile. But yeah. That, jo that joke's from the 90s, kids. So Batman, <laughs> Batman is basing off the fact that, you know, bread and circuses. First there was an acrobat, now a baker, bread and circuses. So next are... Earlier in the quote, consulships and lesions. Something's going to happen. Those are the ones that Joker is going towards. And, you know, satire, satirist, this is probably, you know, the closest we can get to figuring out Joker's game. So this is interesting because Englehart's version in both of these treatments, actually, is Joker being somewhat connected to that quote uh, and juvenile. So uh, after the call, we get kind of an awkward beat where Alfred then hangs up and then turns and talks to a portrait of Thomas Wayne, <laughs> telling him that he would be proud Father. of his son. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think we'll, we need that, but uh, it's it's a nice sentiment. Again, it's we're reading this from the standpoint of someone, you know, we're people who have absorbed so much Batman media over the past 30 years or so, as opposed to people in 1986 who they just know the 60s show. They yeah. might not even know yeah. exactly if they caught the part where Adam West said that his parents were killed. They didn't catch how they were killed, what manner that was, what he had to do in order to get there, all that type of stuff. So, uh, yeah, they gloss over be, it in the first episode, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Batman tells Gordon about this possible attack, but Gordon is skeptical about the clue since it seems like a leap. He's just going off of this Roman quote from Juvenal. That seems kind of weird, according to Gordon. Uh, but uh, Batman and Gordon, you got bread and circuses, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's your lead. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's all Gordon's right. reaction. Uh, so Batman and Gordon appreciate each other's alliance. Uh, okay. Batman then visits Silver St. Cloud in this steamy scene here. Um, Silver oh, yeah. thanks him for saving her life, and she can tell that the Batman is attracted to her, and she wants to repay him by offering dinner. 
And Batman's like, I work nights, unfortunately. I'm a uh, feminist. <laughs> I'll cook you dinner. <laughs> um, this kind of reminded me of Chase Meridian in Batman Forever because it kind of seems like she's kind of flirting with Batman. Um, and she makes a comment about the Joker fight in the circus. And when she looks back, he's gone once again. Again, this Batman is all interest as of now. Uh, all business, I should say, not interest. Uh, all business right now. Not interested in getting laid at the moment. Huh. But that'll change. Oh, so anyway, right. Batman goes back to Dick Grayson and tells him that he has to watch over the mayor because he thinks the mayor is going to be the Joker's new target. Dick agrees and sets up his disguise, which is being a newsboy. Yes, we're back to the original Detective Comics 38 issue where that was Dick Grayson's first disguise. Um, I don't know how many newsboys there were in 1986, but whatever the case is... They're probably still around to a sm- at least a smaller degree. Maybe not I, the I, ones I yelling the papers, but the ones who are throwing the newspaper into your garage, that type of stuff. I mean, it's well before the internet, man. I mean, it probably existed a little bit. So they Batman that gives... guy in Batman Returns. Yeah, he was That's true, but then and stuff like that. That's that Gotham version, is yeah. a timeless place. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Stuck in an Art Deco, yeah. Batman gives Dick a small, sleek back black box, which is basically a signal. It's almost like, think the signal watch from Jimmy Olsen to Superman. Uh, it's to alert okay. Batman if there's any danger. Because as far as Batman's concerned, this kid is just kind of helping him by being part of the circus. He's not planning to turn this kid into a full-on crime fighter yet. Uh, okay. Dick becomes a messenger on a bike, so I don't know why he showed up as a newsboy in one scene but he's now a bike messenger he's promoted man he's promoted got a bike now newsboy to bike messenger anyway uh unless he's meant to be like a news paper boy on a bike but it also says he's messaging for a bank so i don't know anyway uh, that was something that he probably didn't think through that much he's a jack of all trades <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the mayor leaves his mansion to ride across town and batman is following it Englehart sort of throws in the comedic beat where the Batman accidentally scares a homeless person and has to reassure him before he can move on, which seems a little random, but it does tie into stuff later. Um, okay, good. The mayor's car gets attacked and people try to kidnap him, and that's when O'Hara shows up and starts shooting, and he actually ends up shooting down one of the people, so this is not the incompetent O'Hara from 66 show. This guy means business. He's a uh, Batman takes down two of... Bruce Willis of the is chief O'Hara in this. <laughs> <laughs> you Bikaye, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to epics, Begora. The story of Chief O'Hara. Um... Batman takes down two of the others, and the final one gets taken down by Dick Grayson on a bike. He, he takes them down with his bike and does a wheelie and races away, according to the script. <laughs> Skids on their face. <laughs> it's kind of so, awesome, though, actually. It is cool. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's a way to get Dick Grayson to prove, hey, I want to be out there and be part of the action. So this is all continuing the Robin origin story. Uh, Batman interrogates the criminals, but they claim they don't know anything about the Joker. It turns out these criminals are a separate group who are being hunted already by O'Hara, and uh, O'Hara sort of criticizes Batman for fumbling it and gambling with the safety of the citizens and the mayor's life and that type of stuff. So, um, Batman still stopped the kidnapping of the mayor, though. I don't know what you're complaining about, O'Hara. Uh, <laughs> but O'Hara is pretty much like, I had it handled. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, that homeless man that Batman scared goes to the Salvation Army for a meal. And we meet the man in charge of the Salvation Army, in charge of feeding everyone, and he's known simply as the Colonel, who's going to be okay. our next big character. So, uh, anyway, the Colonel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, for those listening, I pulled a picture were, uh... of Colonel Sanders. 
I was gonna. I was refraining. <laughs> but yes. So the Colonel gets visited by the Joker in disguise, and the Joker kills the Colonel with Joker venom. And then, true to the original Batman number one arc, he is a master of disguise, so he puts on makeup to look like the Colonel himself. So the Joker is now the Colonel. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, trying to serve some finger-looking good chicken to the homeless people of the Salvation Army. And uh, <laughs> Was this artwork made for this exclusive hidden script? <laughs> no. Like, how'd you find this one? Why so tasty? So, <laughs> I love uh, a fried For those boy. listening in, I have, I've, I've pulled up a picture of Colonel Sanders, but with the Joker green hair and the, the red lips holding up a uh, Joker card with a rooster on it and says, why so tasty? <laughs> so <laughs> that is uh, the Joker as the colonel. It's like it's saying it's chicken's fault <laughs> for dying. <laughs> we wouldn't eat you if you weren't so goddamn delicious. <laughs> it is very dark. This is darker than like the real Joker, I think. Why so tasty? Oh. So. That's good, man. The most powerful card of all, the rooster. The rooster card. He rules so, the roost. Uh, meanwhile, Batman finds Dick Grayson and kind of—he's kind of mad about how Dick endangered himself, but he's not like Frank Miller Batman mad. He's more—he says, "Quote: I ought to thrash you, but you remind me too much of me." So thrash he, like, you. If you were like, any other kid, be- I'd beat your ass. <laughs> That's what he's saying, pretty much. But again, this is Englehart's Batman, so he's That's not right. like you stupid I'd slap kid. your ass green. <laughs> Don't you mean red? Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, Batman is sort of forgiving because of the fact that he sees, uh, you know, an element of how he used to be in Dick Grayson. So he decides that this kid has earned his trust, and he takes him back to the Batcave, and he takes his mask off, and he reveals that he's Bruce Wayne. And Dick is somewhat overwhelmed by the fact that Bruce has trusted him with this, and overwhelmed ends up hugging him, which, you know, sort of shows the father-son type of relationship that Englehart is setting up here. Again, this is another this is a Robin Origin movie, and I think this is one of the better versions of that, where as opposed to the other scripts that we've gone over, where it's kind of just thrown in there because some studio exec said, like, hey, you got Robin in this? You should put Robin in this. Here is a slay. Okay. Some this guy is one of the from Wall versions. Street. Yeah. This reminds some things me of strange. Robin's uh, reckoning in Batman the Animated Series. Yep. That, that scene too. where he, you know, introduced... Well, he lets him know that he's Bruce Wayne. Is that yeah. from other parts of the comics, or is this an Englehart exclusive? There are different versions throughout history, which we covered last year in the Secret Origins of uh, Robin thing, but... Uh, memory's going have... like Andrew's. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's remember every cause... single line we ever said in these podcasts, man. What's up? <laughs> some some versions, Dick meets Batman first. Other versions, he meets Bruce first. Some versions, Batman unmasks. Other versions, Bruce just takes him into the Batcave and says, I'm Batman. Like, it's... We've seen so many different takes on this, but I don't think this is an Englehart exclusive uh, necessarily. If it is, if it's him for the first time, then this is Englehart paving new ground that other comics later did. Takes him to the Batcave and then cut to uh, the lights being turned off, then cut to them smoking a cigarette together. <laughs> and there we go. There goes the listeners. She just got dark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, Bruce, Dick, and Alfred all try to figure out what Joker's game plan is, but they get stumped. And Batman, uh, you know, is like, you know what, I'll take you back to the circus. But Dick says, you know what, the tragedy of my parents' death, you know, it's too great over there at the circus. He thinks about them too much, and he doesn't want to stay there anymore. And Batman, for the first time in seven years, 
allows there to be a guest in Wayne Manor. Damn. So it's like it's a little boy. <laughs> but I, I like this because again, no, it's, it's good. Like, it is good. It's good. it's a Batman who clearly isn't letting people in, as we're seeing with Silver. But the arc is about how much he lets them in and how limited he is in that. So like, yes, he'll let he'll let this kid into his life, but because of the fact it ties into being Batman, as opposed to with Silver, he's keeping her at arm's length. So uh, that's kind of what he's going with in this, I think. Uh, Batman then broods in a chair as sad Batman <laughs> in front of his father's portrait, believing that he's being overmatched by the Joker. But then he sits up and he sort of pep talks himself. I don't think this would play well on screen, but I get I get what he's going for here, where he's just like, this won't do me any good. I'm no use to anyone if I lose my objectivity. That way just leads to madness. Again, we probably <laughs> not going to have that dialogue on film if this ever progressed further. But uh, again, Englehart is a comic book writer. So he's kind of used to characters sort of monologuing to themselves in a way. But I on like, screen, it doesn't I, really I have, do that. I appreciate that, though. I want, you want to know what's going on in their head. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be against that in a live-action Batman film with, a, you know, internal monologue being the narration. With an internal which we one. Ca- we're ca- yeah. Which we're, yeah, internal. It'd make it internal, maybe. And it looks like we're kind of getting that in Matt Reeves's, but we'll see. Maybe, yeah. But yeah. this seems like he's literally talking to himself out loud in the treatment <laughs> so I'm like I don't do. see Michael Keaton doing that it's yeah. so easily changed to inner monologue though you know yeah, that, would, know. Be, that yeah. would be an easy fix uh, next is what's called a Joker rally that Englehart cites is like a Nazi rally uh, <laughs> in the basement of the mission this is great actually <laughs> he's in front of 25 homeless people and he's making a speech that his message is quote madness and anarchy and the mood grows more and more frenzied more and more I shit you not, he puts this word in there, Hitlerian, or Hitlerian. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, for those who are watching it on the video, or for those who aren't able to hear what's on the video, uh, I have concept art pulled up from the uh, Tim Burton, Julie Hickson treatment, where Joker was trying to run for mayor, uh, oh, which shit. is kind of foreshadowing of Batman Returns in a way. But a uh, similar idea of Joker trying to get a whole bunch of people on his side, which I don't think we would get to see until kind of the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Uh, in terms of the live action stuff so he just says a lot of things that make a lot of sense (laughs) when Wolfie was on the podcast he was uh, pretty much indoctrinated into the Heath Ledger Joker remember the Dark Knight deep dives yes that that is true (laughs) he's like "Hmm, should I be worried about this uh, people, I, I've heard a lot of people say that they think Magneto is right, and I'm like, you know, he's kind of a fucking Nazi in a sense, <laughs> himself, even though yeah. he was persecuted yeah. by the Nazis. Like, yeah. maybe rethink your position on Magneto. Is all <laughs> well, I'm it's saying. It's like the abuse becomes the abuser. That type. Yes. Of yeah, yeah. Which makes perfect sense in the comics, but you agreeing with him is another thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel like this is one of the first times I've heard of an early Joker. Um, inciting people or kind of pushing them into chaos mm-hmm. i feel like with that being very much like ledger's joker because i mean the other jokers are just kind of like you know out for themselves and yeah true a little bit more sadistic this one it's like i, I it's hard to imagine the joker rallying normal people yeah that's true uh bruce meets silver who invites him to lunch and the two seem to hit it off it looks like there's a bit of a shattering of batman forever as silver seems interested in both bruce and batman and come to think of it, we've also got the origin of Robin against uh, with him trying to avenge his parents against a rogues gallery villain. So this is basically more... There's more in common with Batman Forever, honestly, here than in the 89 movie. Did in my Batman opinion. Forever rip off the Batman <laughs> script from 1986? <laughs> we, we need to redo this title. Redo Zach it. threw out the thumbnail. 
<laughs> we do it. <laughs> uh, all right. Next scene is back at Wayne Manor. Dick Grayson is, uh, he goes to find Alfred looking over a scrapbook of Bruce's past in this room where Bruce sort of trained himself. And there are, this is very interesting. Uh, there are newspaper articles about Bruce winning science fairs and wrestling contests, writing prize-winning essays, and becoming an Eagle Scout, even. Uh, which, at first glance, people are just like, Eagle Scout? Superman's the Boy Scout. But if you think about it, Eagle Scouts, and speaking as one myself, like you learn a lot of different skills in terms of survival. Dude, uh, that would make that, total sense. It makes and total people, sense, yeah. People saying, Superman's a Boy Scout. People just say that he's not really a Boy Scout, though. Superman, well, maybe he was in some runs, but... It's more of like a uh, stereotypical attitude when they talk about boys. Exactly, scout, right? they're not talking about yeah. like what you actually do in the scouts. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It reminds me of um, that Justice League moment in the animated series where uh, I think Flash is like, "You're really not a Boy Scout, are you?" And Superman's like, "Never made it. Never even got my first merit badge." <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I love it's that. Just, it's it's more of a metaphor kind of thing, but yeah, it yeah. actually does make more sense that Bruce is a. The Bruce Scout with all, Scout, yeah. all the like orienteering survival kind of uh, shit. Yeah, he would know about like you're stuck in the middle of nowhere. What do you do? Like yeah, he yeah. would be the one obsessed with finding that type of stuff out. First aid, you know. Of course, that's going to be handy. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's totally see. in character. Uh, eventually, the scrapbook goes blank because seven years ago he quote quote unquote decided to go underground and start preparing. So this leads to an interesting point that might not be super clear from what I just pointed out but Engelhart is not actually a fan of the idea of Bruce Wayne traveling around the world to get training he okay. expressed this before in the World Word Balloon podcast that his issue with Batman Begins was just he felt it was weird for Bruce to travel to Tibet because he felt like that was a Doctor Strange thing because he wrote for Doctor Strange too he never really associated Bruce traveling around the world and I know the people listening now are just like well that's fucking weird because that's part of the origin I'm like well not during this time yeah, that, I could see that, yeah. During this time, the most you got out of the origin was him getting training when he was the prototype Robin to Detective Harvey Harris in the Silver Age issue where Bruce was the first Robin. It was really the 1989 comics, which is well after this, that show like, hey, here's Bruce going to get training from Ducard in France. Brought to you, of course, by Sam Hamm, funny enough. So that kind of, in a roundabout way, Engelhart is not agreeing with the guy who would eventually take over and do the actual script for this movie. I understand where Engelhart's coming from, but mm -hmm. I like him traveling to train because if you have the money and you really want to learn from the source, yeah. it's just, I think that's just what you do. You know, yeah, if he had the I chance guess. to, I'm sure there's a lot of great people in Gotham that teach Shaolin Kung Fu, but if it's the choice between that and going <laughs> yeah. to actual Shaolin Temple in China, he's going to fucking go to China. Yeah, that's just exactly. how I, that's how I look at it. This yeah. version makes it sound like he just went downstairs and started building the back cave and, and that's it he just took that chisel and started making everything you know he didn't train it's like day odd. three i kind of i kind of made some headway to the cave alfred <laughs> made one step uh in the meantime shuffling is hard as hell <laughs> uh, Bruce is still with Silver and seems to be into her and he ends up slipping up at this point commenting on how Silver has a beautiful smile which he realizes he said as Batman so even though that was kind of a weird moment earlier it does tie into the plot here because it's the first mm. clue to Silver that there's more to Bruce than what he seems and it's and kind of like the mistletoe yeah Batman, Batman returns. returns exactly yeah uh, then three street bums show up to mug them and Bruce decides that he wants to fight back 
but uh, <laughs> he has to comply since uh, the guy has Silver hostage. So when Bruce hands over his money and they let Silver go, Bruce still goes after them. And uh, as a result, he gets stabbed in the forearm by one of the guys. Uh, so he gets wounded in this, and Silver uses her scarf to tend to his wound, and this gives her even more of a clue that something's up with Bruce because he seems, like, very angry at criminals and seems like he wants to fight them and stuff. Um, he just doesn't like bums. He's <laughs> <laughs> a classist. It's like, I am a billionaire. Why do you think I'm angry? <laughs> I'm going to space soon as well. <laughs> So the same muggers then meet with the Joker. Turns out they were working for him. And he rewards them for their work with drugs. He gives them a speed and opium concoction. However, he finds out that the knife wielder who wounded Bruce Wayne did not succeed in killing him. And he was, he's basically like, well, if you can't hit a proper jugular, I'll make my trade elsewhere. And so he injects him with Joker venom instead of the drugs and kills him. <laughs> Which is pretty fucking wow. twisted. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, in the Batcave, Batman's getting stitched up by Alfred, and Bruce is pissed because he feels like he could have done better, but he was held out, held back because he wasn't in the suit. Englehart uh, okay. says, quote, it's a new dilemma for him, keeping a secret identity from someone he likes. And Bruce is worried that his feelings for Silver will hurt his efficiency. And that's when Dick arrives, saying, that's why you need my help. And Dick is arriving in the Robin outfit. So for well, those God looking up... Lowe's looking on the video. This is Joe Quinones' design for Marlon Wayans as Robin in the Batman 89 comic coming up where he has a hood and a yellow uh, mask covering his nose and mouth, which is very relevant to the past couple years. Uh, but <clears throat> this is uh, the Robin outfit in the Engelhart treatment is, of course, the traditional one. says that he keeps the red vest as a memorial for his parents but adds the green and yellow to keep him from being recognized, which I really like because I feel like if it's literally the same outfit, then it's just like, well, that's the same outfit that the uh, Graysons wore before they were that's killed. True. Leaving didn't a, think about that. Yeah, leaving an orphan kid who's about the same age as Robin. I wonder who's Robin. Like, it's... it's <laughs> I like that it's just the vest. And it's kind of ironic that it's the first one because... It seems like he did it the best out of all these. Englehart. All these emotional beats in this script so far. I, I, I know I've said it before, but it's just, it, yeah, this is all lining up really well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dick also wants to take on the name Robin. There's no explanation provided for this, though. Not yet. Okay. Um, he didn't get that far. He'll figure Engelhardt it out. Didn't get that. He'll, well, Englehart himself won't have it in the treatments, but we'll get it, of course, in other variations. Like these days, it's kind of difficult to do a Robin origin without having... You know, to, to read an Robin origin without somebody having their version on where the name Robin comes from. A Robin flew into the window and said, I shall, <laughs> shall become, become a Robin. Just <laughs> smack into the glass. Yes. So <laughs> Bruce doesn't like this. And he says, you know, you're only supposed to be an operative. But Robin refuses this, obviously. So it's Batman and Robin now. Uh, meanwhile, in Gotham Garden, the Federal Secretary of Housing and Urban Development is giving a speech to Gotham only for Joker to fly a plane over and drop a bunch of TV sets that crush people to death. Damn. <laughs> TV sets? All yeah. Right. So the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development gets his head smashed in by a TV set that falls on him. And uh, Batman hears about this in the Batcave with Robin. And Batman connects that to that juvenile quote, saying that, you know, it was legions, consulships, and commands. And he's like, wait, the secretary would be consulships, so who was killed among the legions? And they go out for the first time as Batman and Robin in costume, and they go to the Salvation Army because they believe the person being connected to the legions is the colonel. 
<laughs> now they don't know. Vile fiend. <laughs> Foul fiend. Foul so, fiend. The Joker uh, is in disguise as the Colonel, and of course claims he doesn't know anything about this Joker fellow. And Batman what's this and... Colonel supposed to look like? He's not the fucking KFC Colonel, right? <laughs> they don't. He does not specify. So okay, if you say Colonel these days, though you can't help, especially a Colonel I know, who's I know, feeding I know. people. <laughs> can't help but uh, make an association there. That's true. Yeah. So Batman and this is a moment that feels a little 1966-ish. Uh, Batman and Robin offer to make a donation to the Colonel to the Salvation Army because they know what it's like to have lost, you know, security these days. So I'm like, that feels a little, like I get it. It probably wouldn't play the same way, but I feel like that's an Adam West and Burt Ward beat there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Batman and Robin are in the Batmobile when they get attacked by four cars from the Joker. And what follows is, quote, an exciting car chase and demolition derby that takes place in the narrow Gotham streets. This is Englehart writing basically a Batmobile chase. Uh, the Batmobile winds up at the circus where Batman and Robin have to fight everyone off. And this becomes Robin's public debut, which feels appropriate because it's at his circus. Uh, during the fight, a thug hits Batman with a balancing pole on his wounded arm, and Batman winces. And Silver St. Cloud, because of the fact that's her circus, is in the audience, and she sees it and notices that Batman's wounded in the same place that Bruce Wayne was. She must be really close. <laughs> She's sitting really close <laughs> to see all that. She's got her little binoculars She's out. She's fucking Sherlock Holmes. Uh, <laughs> so Batman and Robin figure out that the Colonel was the Joker in disguise all along. That the last <laughs> he was the last victim, um, and so the next victim will fall under the clue of quote unquote commands. Robin suspects that this time the target will be the mayor, and the Joker clearly thinks that he is, quote, that he is juvenilis, with his fixation on the helpless and his bombastic hatred of everything else. So we've got some interesting psychological insight into this version of the Joker, who sort of fancies himself along the same philosophies as this satirist from the Roman Empire. Not quite a take that I usually think of with the Joker, but this is Engelhardt's take on it, and I think it's interesting. That's yeah, cool. Uh, Silver St. Cloud goes to Wayne Manor and brings up her suspicions that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Uh, Bruce tries to deny it and brings up that if he were in Batman's place, crime-fighting life would outweigh everything else. And she seems hurt by this but says, um, well, if I were to ever meet him in person again, I'd assure him that I could have been trusted. And then she leaves. So this is Bruce clearly making the decision not to let Silver in. Uh, kind of what I was saying, where I think Englehart is saying that Bruce's arc is to finally let someone in his life, but it's within limitation. It's within the limits of yeah. how much it relates to being Batman. If it doesn't, and if it does not help his war on crime, then he has to cut himself off, even if it breaks his own heart. Um, the Joker recruits begin to slip into, quote, speedy trances and start moving into one direction towards the mayor's mansion. The police try to stop them, but nothing helps, and then Batman arrives, and I guess, quote-unquote, dominates them through sheer force of wheel. Of sheer force of will, sorry. Force of wheel would be the Batmobile. He just runs all of them over. <laughs> he's Ben Affleck in this version. <laughs> the end. sheer force of wheel. down. <laughs> so, God uh, sort him out. I guess he just fights a whole bunch of people who are under Joker's thrall. Um, O'Hara now seems grateful for Batman because he probably saves his life at this point so that completes O'Hara's arc and Batman hears from Robin that this has all been a distraction and Robin has been investigating the real thing that Batman suspected which is that Joker is using that <clears throat> as a distraction so that he can do a heist at the Gotham Art Museum so yes we do have Joker at the Art Museum oh, wow. in this version 
slightly foreshadowing of 89. However, he's not destroying paintings and dancing around to Prince music in this version. (laughs) He's he's planning to steal them, and he's bagged, quote, the entire series of Toulouse-Lautrec's painting of the clown Cha Yu Cao, which I'm showing here in the video version. It's a real painting. So Englehart's not making shit up. He's got a real Roman satirist, and he's got a real painting that Joker is stealing that is of a clown. So this all kind of makes sense. He figures that nice. this is the only painting or the only crime really worthy enough for you know someone of his sentiment. So uh, <clears throat> Batman and Robin come down to stop him, and Joker runs away and goes to a construction site, which leads to the final fight on this abandoned construction site, which is similar to the finale of the sign of the Joker at, towards the end of Strange Apparitions. Uh, Robin is said to, quote, get a few good licks in since Joker killed his parents. But most of the fight is between Batman and Joker on the girders in the rain, like in the comic. At one point, Batman is left hanging on, like, one of the girders as Joker is stomping on his fingers, kind of like in the 89 film. Uh, But Batman then does the move where he swings his legs up and he kicks Joker off on the other side. Uh, as Joker falls, he tries to grab Batman's cape while cutting at Batman with a knife, but all he ends up doing is cutting off the cape, and he ends up falling. And it says that he lands into, quote, an open sewer connection below to be swept underground in a rain-fed torrent. So, he falls into water. We're not sure whether he's dead or not. As opposed to the 89 movie, where it's very obvious that he's dead. <coughs> yeah, pretty dead. Uh... Batman and Robin aren't sure if Joker's dead here, and as they talk, Batman sees among the crowd... Silver Sun Cloud, who clearly recognizes that it's Bruce, and he says nothing to her, and he makes this decision. He goes to Robin and says, you and me, against all the world of crime, and they take off in the Batmobile together. This is not the end, though, because in the nearby alley, they have been watched. It is the Catwoman. Oh, quote, yeah. Catwoman. <laughs> Swooky Catwoman, quote, stroking her beautiful chin. I don't, I've never... Described chins as beautiful, but okay. Her beautiful chin with a calculating gleam in her beautiful eyes in preparation for the sequel. Quick cut to the credits. So, that is treatment number one, and it is Englehart's first crack at it. What do you guys think? Starting with Zach. It's pretty good. Um, Yeah. Didn't have enough Joker for me. (laughs) Need more Joker, but overall, like, it is a pretty good... uh, I guess just a pretty good way for him to take all of these different ideas and mm-hmm. put them together and have them be cohesive. And if we're not going to get a Batman origin movie for the first one, mm-hmm. it is probably better that at least it's a Robin origin movie. So we're focusing on his relationship with a crime fighting partner, another hero, instead of it being like a Joker mm-hmm. origin movie. As much as I love 89, right. I mean, it is essentially like the Joker's rise to power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Andrew? It's really great, but I think that the the ending, I could see why the producers might, I could see producers maybe changing that part of it because him choosing to be with a, with a boy over, <laughs> o, over, a, over a girl, you know, I, I, yeah. you know, a grown woman his age, like... You know, maybe that I would keep it all the same, except maybe uh, I know it's more dramatic for him to just choose one over the other. Mm-hmm. But the age difference, also, I don't know, something a little off for me about it. But I liked pretty much ninety nine point nine percent of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I thought it was it's real. Like the when Robin says, "I'll I'll fight," and you know, I mm-hmm. and all that, and just everything. Yeah, everything lined up really well, and 
uh, it was really th- you know thought out very well. Yeah, yeah. I do think this is not necessarily a great blueprint for the first big cinematic Batman movie, but it is a better blueprint for kind of a Batman and Robin movie uh, for yeah. Robin origin and, and how that's because oh, yeah. that's really the main backbone of this. Um, the the Batman versus Joker stuff is just you know it's not nearly as good as what we've ended up seeing, but that's kind of because this version it's kind of like what the Marvel movies do, where it's just like the villain's not really important. What's important is the arc for the hero uh, in that, and uh, it's a different approach than what we ended up getting in all the different versions of uh, you know the Joker, uh, Batman versus Joker movies. But it is uh, I'd say it's pretty solid, but I think he does an even better job in the second treatment, and we're gonna go into that after the break. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, We've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, his wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039S hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S but Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. So, you know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from. And uh, so we share that as well. And just a huge superhero fan and you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that. And uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated. Just hang in there, Matt. You'll beat this thing soon. Hi, I'm Ray, and this is my friend Alex. Hi. And we do a show called No More Whoppers. Some call it corn, we call it therapy. We're adults with the virility of men. Want to hear us read snack food copy and talk about Japanese chips? Too bad! Join us every month or so on the Greenlight Podcast Network. Lord have mercy, y'all. Do you like hounds? Do you enjoy pooches? Do you find yourself enjoying time spent with that of canines? Talking about dogs, y'all. As you might have heard, Superhero Stuff You Should Know has now teamed up with BarkBox. For every month, you get a box for your special canine. Pooches. Or hounds. That's right. One free extra month if you go to BarkBox.com slash SuperheroStuffPod. Follow the link and you'll get a free extra month valued at $35 and valid for all multi-length plans. So get the BarkBox for your hound, for your pooch, for your canine. Your doggo will thank you. Where's the chicken? I know you did it. You've been poisoning the chicken throughout the city. Land sakes alive. Looky here, folks. We got ourselves a celebrity. Why, Batman, I'm so happy you came to patronize this Kentucky Fried Chicken. Patronize is right. I'm here to fuck you up. Uh, Batman, I, I don't know if this is the Joker in disguise. I think he's... I think he's the real colonel. 
I tell you what, I'm I tell you what, I'm the real Colonel Sanders. And I'll tell you something else too. We're open on Sundays, unlike some folks. <laughs> you see that, Robin? He sounds exactly like him. I don't know. It's it sounds like just Joker with a southern accent. It's the exact same. <laughs> and his face too. Everything about him. That's stupid. Stupid fucking face. Well, you don't have to be so cruel about it. The only jokes around here is you. I'm Colonel Sanders. I thought you came in here for some of my famous Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, Batman, let's just get some chicken and go. I, I don't want to... He could be innocent. Robin, my detective skills are honed to the finest degree possible. Now I'm going to yank on his chin beard to show you just how stupid his face is. Ow, mercy me, that's a strong grip. Why are you yanking on my chin here, boy? Uh, Batman, I think that's his real beard. You're wrong, it's definitely the Joker. Now if I just squeeze his cheeks, see this fucking stupid grin he's got? It's fuck, look, this is him, look at it. Let go of my face. Batman, let go of his face. This is definitely becoming a misdemeanor, a crime of some sort. Robin, he's using the Joker's diversionary tactics to get me to not fuck him up. Batman, if you do this, we could get arrested. They never catch me. I guess you're right. I'm still fucking this guy up. Wham. Ooh. Boom. <laughs> Lordy me. Batman, Ooh, no. Snap. Fillywig. Crackle. Goodness. Pop. Wow. <gasps> Gasp. Can it be? Do this old Uncle Joker's eyes deceive him? Is that you, old pointy ears? Wait a second. See, that's the Joker. Yes, and it appears that my dear Dark Knight has laid his strong leather-clad hands on some fragile old man instead of his perfect little clown boy of crime. Holy mistaken identity, Batman. Oh, I guess you were right, Robin. This chicken guy's just a chicken guy. Lord's mercy, you boys are never coming into my chicken establishment again. <coughs> no! Robin, I know you love this place, but I fucked up, I'm sorry. Smoke bomb. Let's get out of here, Robin. Oh, great, so you left me with Joker. It's okay, boy Wanda, we're going to enjoy some KFC popcorn chicken. You guys got those burnt board dicks. And we're back, and we're going to cover the second treatment by Steve Englehart, written just a couple months later uh, for the Batman 89 movie, and it's a little different from what we had before, and in my opinion, better than the first one. So let's go into it. It is dated May 22nd, 1986, and we start this time with the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Now, oh. again, we might be groaning about that, but... 1986, we have not seen that in live-action film yet. So, yeah, so quit your belly aching. It's pretty much required for this specific film. You kind of need it for that, because the only other adaptation at this point was the Galactic Guardians, the superpowers team, uh, with Adam West. <laughs> that and point no one saw animated. that even when it aired. <laughs> uh, or the audio adaptation for the Untold Legend of the Batman in, like, 1982 or something. Like, that's... Those are the main ones. Actually, no, that was later. Anyway, just... The secret, you know, the Galactic Guardians was the main thing. But anyway, the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne happens in 1974 in this version. Uh, Bruce is 12 years old at the time. 
Uh, we then go to the funeral, and this is where Alfred and Bruce meet, quote, Chief Inspector Gordon at 50 years old. Now, I believe history is being made here because I think this is the first instance where Gordon is around when the Waynes are killed and talks to Bruce after the murders. Uh, this is shown in the Sam Hamm script. It was even shot as a photo for Batman 89 with the officer comforting the young Bruce Wayne. However, it did not make it into the final film. Pat Hingle oh, even knew about it. Yeah, Pat Hingle, the, the actor who played Gordon, even knew about this and talks about that in the featurette, but it didn't make it into that. We didn't really get to see it in live action until Batman Begins. And then in Gotham, where in the Gotham pilot, Gordon literally shows up at the funeral. So I'm sure Englehart saw that and they're like, they took that from my treatment. I'm sure that they didn't even read the treatment because this thing is barely available. But still, uh, it's something that I think just makes sense, you know, and uh, it seems like it comes from here. So, nice. credit to Englehart. Nice. Uh, yeah. Gordon brings up that he hates street crime of any kind and that he vows <laughs> to help find the man who did this, which again... Jaywalking. <laughs> ends up ha- <laughs> I hate it. Spitting out gum. So... Glittering. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of like the Gotham pilot, where Gordon vowed to help try to find the man who um, you know, killed Bruce's parents. So this is interesting. Uh, Bruce goes, and he makes the same vow to wage war on all criminals again. Uh, but we don't flash forward yet. We go into Steve Englehart's version of the training. Uh, okay. So this evokes kind of the Tom Mankiewicz script, which also covered Bruce's training, and also somewhat had it set in Gotham. Because, again, during this time, he, they didn't think to have him travel around the world. Real quick, this is Englehart's second pass? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, got it. Uh, so we cut to Bruce sitting on a quote-unquote 1974 state-of-the-art exercise machine in a newly built gym. <laughs> it's called a Nordic track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, at this point, he's not only set up a new gym, but he's also set up a chemistry lab and is reading more and more books and Alfred it's is reading worried. popular mechanics magazine <laughs> Alfred is worried about how withdrawn Bruce has become and Bruce uh, snaps at him at this point says quote how dare you talk to me like that you may be the executor of this estate but it's still my estate and you're still a servant which kind of makes Bruce unlikable except Bruce keeps pushing himself to the point where he starts breaking down and crying and apologizes to Alfred immediately so it's deliberate at this point yeah that's um, cool I like that he apologizes to Alfred because he feels like he has to fight crime for his mom and dad and for all the other kids out there who are victims of this type of crime and there's an interesting bit of dialogue here where he says quote I don't want to go crazy I want to be the best and you can't be the best if you're crazy okay this is interesting because to me it feeds into Grant Morrison's theory that Batman is not actually crazy is not actually as mentally ill as the people he faces which a lot of people say uh, he becomes Batman, according to Morrison, as a way to avoid being crazy, as his main coping mechanism. And it seems that Englehart agrees with that, based off of what's implied in this treatment. So, okay. uh, I really like that. I really like that idea of, you know, it makes it more relatable as Batman being a sign of how he tries to cope in the healthiest way possible and tries to turn it into something positive. Now, again, this is... We factor in the fact that Frank Miller's Batman is still being the shit out of people, but... Like you have to look at it from a broader scope than just the one or two instances <laughs> at this time where he's being really super brutal. I mean, Englehart writing this, uh, Frank Miller's stuff is just coming out, right? Yeah, like exactly. That too hasn't had enough time to really absorb it, probably mm-hmm. as a writer. Yeah, and Englehart yeah. himself is just a proponent for a different type of Batman, a more much more healthier Batman mentally on that. So it all makes sense. 
uh, Alfred agrees to help him and help train him, saying that he'll awaken Bruce at 6 a.m. and work up a quote-unquote sensible athletic routine. Bruce asks, could we start at 5? So uh, that's cool. We then cut to meet uh, Professor Kane, K-A-N-E. I wonder who that's okay. named after. Uh, okay. Kane is teaching the art of picking up 10-plus broads. No, he's teaching <laughs> fingerprinting technique. <laughs> Reference to our Bob Kane episode, everybody. Um, he's teaching fingerprinting techniques, and we meet a now 15-year-old Bruce Wayne who is auditing the course, a college course Kane at 15. Kane with fingerprinting techniques. I got it. Yes. Um, huh. uh, he is auditing this class <laughs> under the fake name of Brian Winger. Uh, and okay. something new to add to the training timeline, I guess, that episode we did where I broke down all of the stuff. Though I might also incorporate that into its own little video essay for those who are interested. Um, but Professor Kane... It just Kane, might happen. Yeah, it just might. Uh, Professor Kane asks this young kid in his class, quote, do your parents know where you are? Poor Bruce. Uh, but Bruce says, <laughs> oh, yes, sir, they know. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so he's fulfilling his promise, the vow that he made. Uh, cut to four years later, and a 19-year-old Bruce is grappling around the Wayne Manor chimney, which is also similar to a scene in Tom Mankiewicz's script. I'm kind of wondering if Englehart actually just cribs it from this, because this seems oddly specific of a beat, where he's literally cr climbing the chimney of Wayne Manor, and then it somewhat collapses and he falls. Um, Alfred thinks, oh, he's done for the day, but Bruce then goes back and climbs using only finger and toe holds without a rope. Just like the Dark Knight wow. Rises. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just to show if that it was, determination. If, if it was just the one, I would have given it to him. But with all those factors, it does seem very. Uh, yeah. Like they, they pulled from it. Yeah. The, with, the without the rope thing is an Engelhart edition. I think Mankiewicz just ended it with the the beat of the you know the, the collapse of the chimney, but yeah. Engelhart sort of adds this thing just to be like, okay, this is not a joke. This is what he would really do, which I think is right. I approve of that. Uh, flash forward to a 23-year-old Bruce Wayne who returns to Professor Kane's classroom only to find out that Professor Kane is dead and he has been murdered. Now, this is interesting. What oh, we're going no. to see is... <laughs> what we're about to see is something rare where it's the evolution of Bruce as a detective, which we don't really get that much. Like, a lot of times when you see the training, it's usually Bruce training with martial arts. Yeah. Other ways of combat escape type stuff you rarely sort of see his training as a detective or it's just shown in sort of a short montage thing in the comics uh but Englehart actually dramatizes something and it's the death of this professor uh the detective of the local police wants to know who he is and bruce says you know i'm a former student and i'm studying the death of my teacher funny enough i had a similar concept in my gotham spec which you can check out at benwanrider.com slash gotham hyphen vampire just a little plug there um plug. but anyway yes <laughs> But back to uh, this scene. <laughs> Bruce examines the gun used to shoot Professor Kane to, de to death and notices that the fingerprints on the gun are from the right hand. And the cops are like, well, yeah. But Bruce says the killer was left-handed. Now, how does he know that? He brings up the fingerprints are all smudged equally and artificially, meaning that they are all at the wrong angle for anyone holding a gun. Nobody holding a gun would be able to put all five digits around the gun in that particular way while firing it so he figures it out that it's the only person there who's left-handed who is a female student who uh this is get this is dark was seduced by professor kane and got her pregnant and abandoned her Shit. 
few clicks th- away from <clears throat> Adam West now. I thought it would have been funnier if he'd been like, it was Professor Kane, and then then <laughs> Professor Kane sits up and he's like, you passed the final <laughs> test. test, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> I like mine better. It's too dark. <laughs> yeah, that one that one went dark real quick, huh? Uh, I guess this is Engelhart's way of saying, yeah, this character is named after Bob Kane, and you abandoned this girl just like you abandoned Bill Finger. So, is it still the cold fired. open? Has it even gotten to like the title <laughs> we have, Batman We haven't gotten to the title yet. We're oh almost there. God. We're almost there, Zach. <clears throat> he has to figure out how to be a detective before the credits. <laughs> We're came watching and come his up. entire lifetime here. <laughs> his entire journey. All Next right. scene, he gets up. The alarm. He gets up from bed. Does his routine in the bathroom. Goes to get breakfast. Uh, but yeah, does his routine. <clears throat> so she, the murderer, basically brings up the fact that she feels justified because of the fact that it was her revenge due to how horribly he treated her and Bruce is not sympathetic towards her and says quote murder is never justified and the killer says have you no heart and Bruce responds not when it interferes with my mind so this sort of sets up Bruce's arc with the whole Silver St. Cloud stuff where he's going to fall in love but here he has no time for love he has no accounting for compassion right now the compassion to to either be a father figure for a kid or be in love with somebody, any of that type of stuff. So I think what he's doing here is interesting. It feels a little long for a cold open. I agree with Zach on that. But for a scene in terms of Batman's training, I actually kind of really like it because it seems unique. Um, Comac wants to know Bruce's name, but Bruce never gives it. Uh, but we kind of get, here's the evolution of the world's greatest detective type stuff. So I really like that. Uh, Bruce is in Wayne Manor and monologues to himself that he can't see himself become a police consultant or a PI. He must have a disguise. And then a bat flies in through the window. We're staying true, 100% true to the Billfinger origin here. And it says, quote, We follow in slow motion the creature's flight around the room. Then we return to Bruce's face as everything we've seen thus far <laughs> clicks into place for him. One intense look of realization. And then, as the bat's black shadow falls across his face, we dissolve to the title, The Batman. There we go. Fucking happy, Zach? (laughs) Yes, I am. You know what? I wish that that little scene there was the whole opening, and then he got to Batman. Now, I don't need the parent's death. I don't need him training. They just Mm -hmm. have him sitting in that room. I need something. I I gotta have a disguise. And then he says the whole you know criminals are a superstitious Superstitious and cowardly cowardly lot thing. And then the bat flies in and just yeah, that would have been a perfect opening for a Batman movie. Bruce is now the Batman. Uh, So we see Bruce don the bat suit, and here Engelhart actually goes into detail of how he sees the bat suit, and it's actually different from the uh, what Marshall Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin did. So he says, quote, tight gray cloth sliding over thickly muscled legs, high black gleaming boots pulling into place, finned gloves, the golden belt, the black cylinders in the belt compartments, the sweeping cape, the blank white eyes, the pointed ears, until finally, as the credits end, the Batman rises into view on a rooftop before the full moon. So it's looking like he wants cool. to go black and gray on this. And the whole credit sequence is over him suiting up. That Dude, is that's very great. much like Schumacher. Yeah. There's just yeah. no I'll get drive through line. It's literally just him. No butt shot sitting. pulling up their, no their leather bat pants. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it says that. that at this point he's 25 years old, which is around the age he is at the very beginning of Batman Year One, which doesn't come out until a year after this, but that's interesting. 
Uh, we cut to some time later as we meet four hoods, two of whom are named Fender and Smack, uh, and they're robbing an armored <laughs> truck. Uh, okay. Fender and Smack try to get away only for Batman to stand in front of their headlights. He uses his gadgets to take out their tires and forcing them to crash, and then we get sort of a chase with Batman terrorizing them. Quote, the Batman is evoked in all this by the menacing, encompassing shadows. So probably something similar to what we got in the, uh, you know, the dock scene in Batman Begins. Uh, however, not like Batman Begins, we kind of get... This beat, I think, is a little dumb. So Batman tell, turns to one of the thugs, who's still conscious, and says, Carry your buddy. And Batman uh-huh. and this guy literally walk into the police headquarters carrying the bodies <laughs> to drop them <laughs> off to GCPD. Oh, man. And uh, drop his body onto the counter. I'm like, I don't know about that. Just, just have Gordon show up. So anyway, Commissioner Gordon arrives, and Batman uses intimidating tactics to make the criminals confess to what they were doing. And uh, pretty much the main objective of this is to, show, is to set up that Gordon and Batman are working together. And here's Batman now and him crime fighting. Uh, Bruce nice. arrives back home to Alfred. And Alfred is like, you shouldn't have stepped in front of the truck. And Bruce is like, yeah, but it was fun. Again, this is a more, this is a more somewhat mentally healthy Batman in a way. I mean, kind, that's kind of a Daredevil type thing. But you probably wouldn't hear Miller say it was fun unless he's talking about beating the shit out of somebody. <laughs> you know? It would probably be like, it was a tactical decision, Alfred. You wouldn't understand. Or something like that. Here he's just like, yeah, but I might as well have fun doing it. Which is interesting because you don't really associate Batman thinking that his stuff is that fun. Uh, yeah. But that like just a, highlights. Like a justice is a burden. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Except when he's uh, driving around that Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> he's having a good time. Yes. Uh, Bruce says to, uh, you know, wake me up at two because I have some social thing to do at four. So the social thing the next day turns out to be a charity wine tasting at the house of a man named Daniel Rossmore. And here is where Bruce meets Silver St. Cloud. Uh, there's more of a description here. Englehart describes her as, quote, a classic beauty with chiseled cheekbones and a lively intelligence. Uh, they get along and Silver invites Bruce to the charity circus since she still runs the Gotham Garden here uh, in this treatment. Uh, meanwhile, the owner of the house, Daniel Rossmore, crashes the conversation because of the fact that uh, he wants to know if uh, Bruce is still friends with Gordon because he got a very curious note from somebody uh, who seems to have taken down a clown theme. So let's hear uh, this note. <laughs> I gotta read this fucking number. <clears throat> <laughs> Leave $10,067.73 in your jacuzzi. Any time today before Johnny Carson, or your world will go crazy. Signed, The Joker. P.S. What the hell? $10,167.73. So no one has heard of The Joker at this point. Diabolical. They've just gotten this letter that at first wants a certain amount, but then Joker just ups it. $100 at the very end. Uh, Bruce is like, this must be a prank, but deep down inside, he's worried. So, just in case he sneaks into Rossmore's house during the party to find the jacuzzi room, just to see, like, okay, if he wants to meet here, how could Joker show up? And so he goes, right, sort of looking around the jacuzzi, and he ends up running right into the Joker. (laughs) Uh, It says... Quote, his face is chalk white, his hair garish green, his stretched lips red as new blood. He wears a bizarre purple suit and he radiates lunatic energy. Joker, this is creepy as fuck. Joker has been hiding inside this guy's house the entire time. 
just oh, wow. chilling out <laughs> under the bed under the he's under the bed uh, since leaving the note this is kind of true to the original batman number one because joker would do this type of shit where he's just like i'm gonna kill this guy at midnight and it turns out he already poisoned him and he's just waiting in the closet the whole time um so joker bored in there <laughs> <laughs> joker stuffy. thinks joker thinks bruce is a spy for rossmore and uh shoots bruce wayne so this is something that we ended up getting in 89 where joker shot bruce in the vicky's apartment uh, obviously, Bruce survives. In this version, he fakes getting hit, and a voiceover says, quote, I knew he was going to shoot, and I started to throw myself aside just soon enough to avoid the bullet. Uh, he even has a hole in his jacket, which shows just how narrowly he avoided death right there. Uh, Joker then goes to the party and uses his lapel flower to spray green into Rossmore's face, and he laughs himself to death because he did not pay up that money. Uh, the Batman arrives and gets into his first fight with Joker. So it's now here at the wine tasting as opposed to the circus. I did like it at the circus, though. Yeah. Um, Joker escapes since the crowd grows more panicked and uh, knock over the poles holding up the tent of the party. So Batman wants to find Joker, and then we get the familiar scene where he goes to a goon for information. Other people try to attack him. Batman attacks back and ends up disappearing. Same beats here. Uh, Bruce then goes to uh, his date with Silver at the circus, at the Gotham Garden. And that's where we find that uh, it turns out that Silver has received a Joker note demanding money. Uh, so Joker's kind of doing the extortion racket that Boss Zuko does in the traditional Robin origin where he's extorting all these people. Traditionally, Zuko is the one to extort Haley's circus, and that's what leads to the death of the Graysons when they refuse to pay up. Here, it's Silver getting it. So, Joker wants $21,361.49. Okay. Sp- better make sure you have that 49 cents in there. Like this, yeah. I love that bit in there because Englehart is clearly being like, this guy's fucking nuts. It doesn't matter how much money you give him. He doesn't give a shit about the money. It's not about the money. It's about sending a message. Yes, exactly. So, Bruce wants to investigate as Batman, but he's got the date, and he has a voiceover saying, this is why I don't let myself get close to anybody, because of the fact it might hold him back. But he reasons the best way to protect Silver is to stay close to her, and it seems like uh, he's going to regret this, considering what's about to happen at the circus. So, uh, Silver confesses her fears to Bruce about the Joker, and Bruce tells her that no harm will come to her while he's around, and together, they share their first kiss at the circus. Uh, yes. Duh. Again, it's kind of shades of Batman Forever since we got the whole date at the circus thing as well. Uh, so, anyway, the Flying Graysons perform. You know what happens here. John Grayson laughs himself to death <laughs> due to the Joker venom. But Batman doesn't show up immediately like in the other version. It's Bruce this time who meets Dick at the site of his parents' deaths uh, and sees a greenish oil slick on John Grayson's face. Uh, when Gordon asks Silver to give him a tour of the area to investigate, Bruce changes into costume and becomes Batman. Batman goes into the dressing room of the Graysons. Uh, he even asks for directions from the circus members on the way, which seems like a little bit of a weird beat. But again, this is Englehart's more, you know, public Batman type. Uh, but uh, Batman finds the makeup jars, and one says, Free samples from Bread and Circus's theatrical supplies, with okay. an address to the place. So he clearly suspects this is this makeup was poison that caused John Grayson to die. Silver and Gordon arrive to find Batman, and Silver meets Batman for the first time here. Batman tells them, make sure no one touches the makeup. And this is where he then flirts with Silver St. Cloud and comments on her lovely smile, just like in the previous treatment. Uh, A GCPD officer says, hey, 
the kid, the Grayson kid, said the same thing about avoiding the makeup. And Batman's like, where is he? And now he's got to chase after this kid because the kid wants to find the one who killed his parents and goes to that address that's on the makeup jar. Uh, so Dick ends up getting attacked by a bunch of, you know, thieves and lowlives and stuff who try to attack him, but Batman arrives to help uh, and interrogates them to find out what's going on. It turns out the Joker rented the address that's on the makeup jar, which is number 66, potential reference to Batman 66. Who knows? Mm, uh, but yeah, he hired a bunch of them to put all the gunk in the makeup jars, but that's about it. So uh, again, more Batman detective work here in terms of figuring out where the Joker is. And Joker uh, using cosmetics to kill people. That's just true. Like that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Very good point, Zach. Uh, Batman tells them to stay away from kids from now on, and then tells Dick, well, that was impressive, but he should leave the fighting to the professionals. And Dick tells him that he's not going to stop. He's going to find the man responsible for his parents' deaths. And I guess that's enough to... Uh, well, that's not quite enough to convince Batman, but he's just like, all right, well, I'm going to take you home. So he puts Dick in the Batmobile and then drives in the Batmobile only for them to get attacked by four cars full of the Joker's men. So this is where we put the Batmobile chase. And Joker is in a helicopter overhead, just surveying the whole thing. Uh, Batman's able to evade all of them, and Joker's frustrated in the helicopter, and the pilot makes some joke about how the men who work for him are incompetent. And Joker's like, you're exactly right, and he shoves him out of the helicopter and kills him. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, Batman is impressed by Dick being able to keep his calm under danger, so he decides to blindfold him and take him to the Batcave once again. Uh, in this version, he takes him through an abandoned subway tunnel that leads to the Batcave, so that's kind of cool. So now we're in the Batcave. Uh, Batman and Dick analyze the Joker's makeup contains green mamba poison and hydrogen trichloride. The Bat computer gives information on all dealers of the chemicals in 200 miles, and Batman decides to take a chance on this kid. And here he unmasks himself, revealing himself as Bruce Wayne. So it's a little rushed in comparison to the previous one, I gotta admit. Uh, because this is all the same night. <laughs> Dick's parents die. They end up in the car chase together. He takes him to the Batcave, then unveils himself as Bruce Wayne. All here. Uh, but he offers to help Dick fulfill his vow to avenge his parents, as well as give Dick a new home and a new family. Dick seems overwhelmed and stumbles towards Batman to hug him. And this is his new, you know, this is his new dad, his new surrogate dad now. So it's kind of a sweet moment. Uh, the next day, Bruce goes on a romantic date with Silver, where he feels that his world was very solid and controlled until the day he met her. But he likes this new life that's opened up before him. So, similar to what uh, Sam Hamm said about his intention for the script for 89, where Batman, he saw Batman as insane. So the opposite of how Englehart sees him. He sees Batman as insane, but this relationship with Vicky in that script was what turns him sane. And how does he deal with that? Especially because, you know, being insane is what helps him become Batman, was kind of the general idea for uh, 89. I don't know if it really comes across in the final film so much, because I don't think that that relationship is as central compared to his original script, but we're dealing with similar ideas here. If you're going to have a love interest in this first Batman movie, it should be somebody who Bruce cares about, obviously. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that they would cover similar beats. I don't think Ham necessarily was drawing off of the Strange Apparitions arc for that. Because if you think about it, like, girl who makes Bruce question himself, question getting close to people, ends up finding out a secret identity, that's not really something that... Like, sure, Englehart might have covered that first in the comics, but you don't necessarily have to read that comic in order to figure out that that could be a story. So, 
Uh, we then get similar beats to the previous treatment, Dick Grayson in the room, learning about Bruce's training. Same stuff, however, Inglehart adds that the original Bat computer <laughs> is a battered Apple IIc. <laughs> <laughs> the most uh, high-tech yes. Yes. computer imaginable. I want the state-of-the-art shit. Uh, Only the best outfit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back on the date, Bruce does the same thing where he slips to Silver the whole thing about her having a beautiful smile, like he said as Batman. This time, they get confronted by three hoodlum, hoodlums and the Joker. So this ups the stakes, the stakes considerably. Uh, Joker reveals that Silver actually did pay him the extortion money after the death of the Graysons in order to keep everyone else from dying. Bruce gets pissed at this and tries to fight the Joker, and it's Joker this time who stabs Bruce in the forearm with the knife. Uh, Joker then says that Bruce is the next target. Bruce again goes back to the Batcave. Yeah. Uh, and Dick, uh, you know, he's like, how am I supposed to do this? Because this relationship with Silver is holding me back. And Dick comes out saying that uh, I'm going to help you. And this is where he shows up as Robin, just like in the previous one. Um, there are some added beats here. Dick says, you're the bat and I'm the bird. Uh, Bruce figures out that Alfred helped him with the costume, which again feels like Batman forever. Remember, who's your tailor? That I took the Yes, exactly. But Alfred points out, hey, if you had the skills and had you know an older person working with you, you would have begun your mission as early as he would have. That would have been you. And Bruce is like, you're right. And so he allows Dick to be Robin. And now we got Batman, Robin, and Alfred in the Batcave. Uh, they work together and they try to develop an antidote for the Joker venom because they know that Joker is going to attack Bruce next. And the closest they can come up with is, quote, a covering of non-porous plastic and all-exposed skin, plus skin-tight clothing beneath normal attire, plus nose filters. Rubber lips are immune to your charms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, again, the, Engelhardt is highlighting the scientist aspect to Batman, as well as the, the detective stuff. Uh, Robin says, hey, if we get it wrong, though, you're going to die. And Batman says, that's what this life is about. Like, he knows the risks. Uh, night falls on Wayne Manor, and there's a thunderstorm. And Bruce insists that Alfred stay in the Batcave for his safety. Because he has gotten another note from the Joker himself. An extortion note that has come in over here. And the note says... Put $37,203.92 in your shirt before midnight and jump around on the front lawn squawking like a chicken <laughs> and your world will still go crazy. <laughs> so he's basically like, hey, give me the money and I'll still kill you. <laughs> it's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, Silver at this point calls Bruce and she's worried about him. Uh, Bruce tells her he'll be fine and he can't explain it but he knows that this is going to be over Silver decides that's not enough and decides to head to Wayne Manor uh, back at Wayne Manor the Joker this is really interesting Joker enters the study through the same window that the bat flew in in the opening oh they highlight that yeah okay. Engelhardt highlights that yeah I'm like that's such a cool idea because I never thought about like the villain uses the study window that important study window from canon yeah Never That's thought about that. Uh, Joker plans to attack all the wealthiest in the city with the extortion racket that he's come up with, and he squirts Joker venom in Bruce's face. So Bruce is down, and then Robin arrives um, uh, and uh, quote unquote gets his licks in to avenge his parents. Bruce, well, so let's talk about the window thing real quick, though. Is that yeah. supposed to be like, uh, 
just to highlight, uh, you know, just as the bat was a major event in your life, so am I. I'm going to be a big thing. For I you. think Is so. That basically, it? yeah, because it, it seems like you would want there to be something besides like an oh cool type of thing, you mm-hmm. know, like it's yeah. something that has a thematic resonance to that. He's, so he's defiling that area too. That's uh-huh. just okay. the fact that he's yeah. using it against him, mm-hmm. and he would take offense to this probably. Yeah, uh, Batman Bruce would. Yeah. No, the well, thing is, Joker on top wouldn't... of everything else, of course, <laughs> Joker <laughs> wouldn't know the importance of that. But it is interesting yeah, 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 that yeah. Engelhart highlights this. That's cool. Uh, so Robin fights Joker, quote-unquote gets his licks in to avenge his parents. That happens here. Uh, Bruce then turns into Batman because he's been protected by the antidote they devised, and Batman fights Joker, but it's his wound from Joker's knife in the forearm that causes him to bleed. Uh, Joker runs off, and Batman and Robin chase after him, only to find Silver, who's arrived at Wayne Manor, worried about Bruce. Batman tells Silver that Bruce isn't here, but Bruce uh, is still bleeding as Batman. So Silver can tell that... Because the forearm's bleeding, that cements that he and Batman are the same. And she follows Batman and Robin after the Joker. Uh, there's a chase, and Joker radios a helicopter to meet him at his destination, which is another thing that made it into 89. Uh, mm. And our final set piece, I be- the ending is a lot better than the previous one. Because we have a final set piece at an abandoned amusement park area called Finger Island, which is really Coney Island, oh, but Finger wow. Island, named after Bill Finger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, and they chase Joker onto a Ferris wheel that ends up going off, and the final t- fight takes place with them jumping on the different cars. Uh, similar beats to them fighting, uh, except now on the Ferris wheel cars, and it's a thunderstorm. So you got lightning, thunder, the carnival music, Batman versus Joker, Joker cackling, and that type of stuff. Uh, eventually, I this could, is right. I up. could see the producers being like, "Why is it called Finger Island?" That's a little weird. <laughs> and, then, and, then the, and then Englehart's like, <sighs> you know, has to explain the whole fucking thing. Yes. Kane's a better name. He's the creator <laughs> yeah. of Batman, right? Yeah. Uh, lightning oh, ends up man. striking the Joker, uh, which is like in the sign of the Joker. Uh, and he strikes him while he's climbing the ladder of the helicopter. So he ends up falling from the helicopter ladder, like in 89, and lands in the water, like in sign of the Joker. Uh, because the lightning hits so closely to the helicopter, the helicopter gets a terminal short circuit and ends up crashing into the water as well. Okay. Uh, Batman then meets with Silver, who brings up that she knows that he's Batman, but she can't bring herself to continue being in a relationship with him, never knowing what each night will bring after seeing him put himself in danger right now. This is basically right out of the comic, The Sign of the Joker, as well as the exact same dialogue. Englehart is just like, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> this happens. She gives him one last kiss. And then she leaves him, and Batman is left alone. So this is different from the previous one. So as Andrew said, like it's kind of weird for Batman to be like, well, I reject the love of this you know, fantastic woman so that I can be with this kid. <laughs> and yeah. in this version, she makes that choice. She takes that choice away from him. He could have had that life, but he's not able to have it due to the nature of what it is. It's the Batman life interfering, but uh, that choice is kind of out of his hands, uh, which... You could argue that makes it a little bit less about his character choice, but I think either way, the same result happens. He's not with Silver at the end. Yeah, if they combine, if they take this ending, yeah. put it on the last one, I think it's the perfect yeah. script, maybe. Yeah. 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 Uh, For some, like, this one was good. Mm-hmm. Are, we at, are, are you at the end? We're, we're we at pretty the, much towards the end, yeah. We're at the thoughts? Yeah. Sorry to jump ahead, Zach. Um, mm-hmm. But this one... Uh, 
for some reason, the first one I think resonated a little better until the end. So yeah, if they mm-hmm. combine those two, like the, the ending of this one, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this would have been the perfect Engelhart script. Yeah. Uh, so Silver leaves him alone after rejecting him, and Robin arrives, and Batman says, "This is your life now, Robin. The way it is mine." And they go into the Batmobile and take off. No Catwoman tees, nothing. They just take off into the night because he's resigned himself to this life of being alone and just only having the life of a crime fighter. And that is Steve Englehart's Batman 1986 treatment. What do you guys think? Same same comments apply, Zach. (laughs) Uh, I do agree with Andrew. I do feel like that ending was better. It felt more appropriate for the Joker, but I Mm -hmm. also... uh, I felt like the first draft had a more fleshed out origin for Robin. I mean, this one, True. we talked yeah. about it. It did feel really abrupt that he was just at the circus and then, hey, I'm Batman mm. and this is, yeah. now I'm Robin. Yeah. True. True, yeah. I did, li- now I don't know if this one had it because you didn't go into it, but I did like how there was less uh, thematic elements about like the bread and and all that stuff. I did think yeah. that was a little bit like, I don't know. It just I think Joker's plan is better for the Joker. <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm torn because it's just like I think it's the plan is a little better in this one, but also it's a little typical with the extortion stuff. But, but it feels more like the traditional Joker of like yeah. the first issue where he's threatening to kill people, and th- I, I kind fish, of like yeah. that. But mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen him start out at a circus too. Like you know, there's I think there's elements from both of them that are really strong, and like we said, there. are there is a lot of it that does seem like it uh, still got used in Batman 89, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, overall, I think they're both enjoyable. They both feel uh, aside from the ending where it is very much him borrowing from himself, it does feel like it could have been like a Batman comic in some areas rather than a Batman movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's the main thing where it's just it doesn't quite feel like it's reached the cinematic feel as the other scripts and that's because he's a comic book writer you know like it's it's understandable on this but yeah I, I'd say there are some connections to the final film we got Joker attacking an art museum in the first one we got Joker shooting Bruce in the second one you got Joker using the whole cosmetic thing to kill John Grayson in the second one Joker radioing his escape yeah the helicopter thing falling at the very end uh, Batman falling in love and her finding out that he's Batman and figuring that out uh, those are the main things but I wouldn't say that the movie is that much of an adaptation of this specific thing. You know, I I wouldn't go as far as what he says about how, like, Ham was drawing off of his specific stuff. A few elements they have in common, and I'm not really convinced that they're stuff that Ham wouldn't have been able to come up with on his own. Because we also have to factor in 50 years at this point in time of Batman comics to draw off of different tropes, different things, and, and different things that you would expect to be in a superhero movie or just a movie that you're where you're ad- adapting this before the genre is even taken off. Or just like, yeah, we can't just have just some random Julie Madison type character. We need to have somebody who has some resonance to Bruce's life. It is interesting that he really wanted Robin to be in it from the get-go too. Well, yeah, he didn't really want to do that, but the studio demanded it. He says in the, uh, funny enough, in the opening of uh, Strange Apparitions, the comic, he said that he tried to argue unsuccessfully, he thought at the time, uh, against including both Penguin and Robin. And I guess he won out with Penguin because Penguin's not in the treatments, but Robin's Mm -hmm. definitely in it. He just felt that just keep it to Batman versus Joker and have Silver St. Cloud in there. 
So he kind of won out in the end, but yeah, it wasn't but with he did the script. A, he did a much better job of uh, incorporating Robin in the first draft. I would say so. He probably did the best yeah. job out of anybody related to the 89 production. Because, like, Mankiewicz kind of throws him in towards the end. Is that the uh, one that it's like the storyboard sequence that's included in the special features? Where that's the Sam like, Ham one. That's the Sam okay. Ham one, yeah. Yeah, that one's just like, oh, I guess we're driving to a circus now, and there's Robin. <laughs> Whoops, this happens. It's like, if we gotta shove him in, I guess we could do it this way. Like, that's what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Englehart, hands down, has the best Robin origin, I think, out of all these. Uh, Absolutely. And the, yeah, and then we got important parts of Batman history built into this treatment. We've got Robin drawing the costume off of the acrobat stuff. That comes from this. Gordon being around and comforting Bruce sometime after the death of his parents. That comes from this. Professor Finger. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Kane. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Professor Kane. Yeah. Yeah. So that did, yep. well, adding the, adding to learn learn how to be a detective <clears throat> as well yeah. as a fighter. If they had enough time in the movie, I mean that yeah. that take that part from that draft too, put that in the other one. Yeah, uh, that would be cool as well. Maybe not make it, uh, you know, before the uh, title <laughs> opening title titles, but <laughs> but yeah, that'd be cool. Also, if you combine the two, you would have like the awesome circus set piece in the in the middle or the first True. act, probably yeah. end of first act, mm-hmm. and then you'd have that awesome like stormy whatever uh, one at part. the end. Yeah, talk about two great set pieces for a for yeah. a Batman film, you know? Yeah. It'd be killer. It would be killer. I just love the idea of cutting to the title with the bat flying into the window. Yeah, like Zach yeah. was talking about. That's good. And imagine, That's good. imagine the um, well, any of the themes, the Elfman theme as it closes on his face, or even the mm-hmm. the Jacino theme for the actual the Batman coming out. Like either one of those, it would be, be great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that is our exclusive into the Steve Englehart treatment. So thank you for joining us, and that is superhero stuff you should know. So uh, we have a few fan comments that we're going to pull up real quick uh, on yeah. here. And, uh, Don't we're you gonna know s- it. We're going to start with uh, James Brickner. Uh, James says, amazing, Ben. I had that tape as well. He's talking about uh, the actual, whoops. He's talking about the actual uh, 89 uh, VHS tape. He said, I had that tape as well, and I did the exact same thing. We had the same tape with the origin story, the untold legend of the Batman. Uh, I, too, have the VHS to this day, just for the taste of it. Diet Coke. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite movie. So, awesome, James. So, we have another comment from Chris. It says, quote, Hey, Chris here. I am a huge fan of the podcast and look forward to anything you guys do in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, but I was hoping to make a request about a deep dive <laughs> for a movie, or it's technically a three-part episode. I was hoping you guys could cover... The Batman Superman movie, World's Finest. It's essentially three episodes from Superman the Animated We know. <laughs> the Superman the Animated Series. And I think Indeed. it really captures how good a Batman Superman team up can be. I think we can all agree here it's the pretty much the best interpretation of Batman Superman oh, yeah. meeting and teaming up. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Wouldn't need three parts to know that. <laughs> uh, it is the one where the Joker and Lex Luthor team up which I think also shows how desperate Luthor is I refer to it as a movie because I originally had it on DVD when I was younger but I haven't got a chance to see it in years but it is great from what I can remember so hopefully at some point you guys can cover this at some point uh, I also think it would be cool if you guys covered other Batman Superman team ups like Apocalypse or Public Enemies because they just show how well that Batman Superman team up can be across multiple movies um I think the best way to cover the Batman Superman movie World's Finest would be just covering the general evolution of the different meetings of Batman and Superman, which I do have uh, drafted in notes. 
uh, for an upcoming episode. Nice. So uh, you've already got that uh, in mind. And we'll probably we'll do some sort of comics versus movie thing for Public Enemies and Apocalypse because we, we want to cover yeah. everything. I would be interested to know, like, did he, did they, did they always hate each other at first? I assume that's kind of a thing that might have happened a little bit after, uh, you know, the comics evolved right. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, probably at first they were like, "I'm Bruce, I'm Clark, let's be friends," you know. Like, that's I don't know. Chunk. Remember the remember the radio show? Yeah, <laughs> we right? covered that. That was the first time they teamed up. So yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. kind of how it started off. But of course, you know, you got some friendly rivalries and the not so friendly rivalries and then you got Frank Miller having him kick Superman's chin like that type of stuff yeah, so yeah <laughs> boot to the face beyond. kick him Pretty right much. on the chin I've been stretching for this right. <laughs> this one move last one is from uh, Sparkageddon 318 thank you again Sparkageddon says say bro when you all have time can you all do a deep dive deep five deep dive in the fan made Tim Burton Batman universe I think you would be pleased you would please, though, WB forced him to take it down. Okay, so the, the YouTube link is a link to the... Uh, have you guys seen this? This is a video game mock-up of a Burtonverse video game. Okay. Uh, I think the best way to do this is to see if we can get that guy on the show. That okay, would be awesome. that would be cool. Because I, I see a lot of different reaction videos to this, and I'm just like, okay, like that's kind of already covered. I, th- I think for us to actually dive into it, we would best find out what went into it, what was behind it, what stuff covered, what what particular things were important to convey that uh, that thing. So, uh, Spark again, or anybody in the comments section, let us know who that person is, or if you happen to know how to contact them, and we'll see if we can get that for you. That's cool. So there was a Burton vs. video game that, like, passed in NES era? No, like, this uh, was recently. This is a mock-up. This, this is, a, is a recent one. Wow. It's done, like, in the same type of like the quality is just as good as the Arkham games in terms of the, the graphics and the animation okay. and stuff. So, yeah, that is the final comment. Over to you, Andrew. Okay. Thanks for those comments, everybody. And we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters who are Shasta, Leom O, Jose Arrocha, Super Inframan, Douglas P, Dan D, Aaron Willett, Nick Noach, Jesse E, Jeffrey R, Scott V, Askers Webb, and Jeremy H., and we'd like to thank our other supporters, Sparkageddon, SCCT Productions, Robert Schumann, Kooky Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, Ian H., Walter the Wobot, John Wells, and Guy. Please join the Shasta Army. That's our $1 tier. Gets you the shout-out. But then also, the $5 tier gets you a whole new show every Friday, everybody. Deeper dives. Join the club. We're having fun down there in P- Patreon world. <laughs> um, so uh, and Zach's on it, <laughs> so it's a little bit less fun. But <laughs> we're trying to get them to come on, Andy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's more fun. It's more fun. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, please uh, check out our merch as well at superhousepod.redbubble.com and also superhero stuff pod dot threadless dot com. Get your Ben Man and Indeed Wizard mugs, and we're going to have Zacula art. That's Joker, Zach, uh, uh, Joker, Dracula, Zach. Uh, we're going to have art for that. All the art is uh, by Wolfie Cruz there. So, you know, mugs, shirts, shower curtains, whatever you want. Um, let us know if there's something that you want that's not, uh, not in the store. Um, also, speaking of store, uh, we have a new fucking website, too. SuperheroStuffPod.com. Complete redesign overhaul mm-hmm. uh ben's doing a lot of work 
with the show notes as well. So check that out. Supplemental material, um, mm-hmm. as well as just an overall description of what went on in every episode. So check that out. And uh, please leave us a review in iTunes. Uh, please record us a listener segue. That's an audio bumper. It can be anything, no matter how silly, and send that to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. Please animate our sketches. Just hashtag it, please, and let us know that you did it. <laughs> um, my website actually has changed also to thunderwolfdrew.com, so that uh, has all of my portfolio and shit like that. Uh, check that out, all my videos and my photos. And I'm working on, I'm, I'm still in pre-production right now for something called Amano Recon, A-M-A-N-O Recon, that's R-E-C-O-N, AmanoRecon.com, check it out, see what we're doing there. Basically, it's an R-rated sci-fi horror uh, comedy show, and think, basically, Power Rangers meets Ash vs. the Evil Dead meets X-Files. So, it's all there, um, and we're excited about that. And that's it. Ben. Uh, another shout out to Comic Capital on Instagram as well as the Everything Entertainment Club on Clubhouse, which uh, I helped join to uh, discuss Marvel stuff. Yes, I do talk about Marvel stuff, everybody, every now and then. Wow. I know. Uh, though we might have something Marvel related coming up. Just to give oh, you a man. Tease. Uh, We've talked about video essays in this episode, haven't we? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Our Twitter is SuperHousePod. Our Instagram, SuperHeroStuffPod. Our TikTok, SuperHeroStuffPod. Our Vero, SuperHeroStuffPod. And our new website. I love that we're on Vero. I can never get over it. Because it has one single purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And our our official website, SuperHeroStuffPod now. No longer SuperHousePod. We'll be updating... You know, the links in past episodes as well. But uh, you guys heard it here first in this episode. Uh, my website is benwanwriter.com. My YouTube channel is in the description below, where this week I will be launching a video uh, containing a little clip from the podcast in terms of my take on why Dick Grayson picks the name Robin. Uh, also, you can check out the kids' comic I worked on, Early Bird, at earl e bird.com. My personal Instagram is benwanwriter. My son's Instagram, my cat, Alfred, is at Alfie Pennyworth Cat, which leads me to bring up that if you have a furry Alfred or any sort of cat <laughs> and you want to give them some uh, goodies from month to month, join Whiskerbox. We are affiliates with Whiskerbox. And if you have no cats but you have dogs, well, we're affiliates with BarkBox as well, as you probably heard in that bumper we did. Just check out uh, SuperheroStuffPod.com shop, which contains the links where you can uh, take advantage of that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, over to Zach. If you would like to see more of my work, like you see behind Ben's shoulder right now, you can go to ZacharyJacksonBrownArt.com, and you can also follow me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search Zachary Jackson Brown Art. Awesome. And that's it. I'm going to give week- you this one, bro. There you go, man. <laughs> it's roomier up here. Wow. <laughs> I can see Ben over there. I moved, for the listener, I moved his uh, little video screen up over mine. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) I gave you the last two minutes of the episode, so. Uh, So, those of you who are part of the $5 Patreon, we're going to, you know, we covered this week on another origin of Robin, but we're going to go into what happened when Dick Grayson became Batman as we cover the animated movie Batman Bad Blood. No relation to the Taylor Swift song. Uh, So... (laughs) Hello to Zach's cat over there. 
ruin everything. <laughs> that is it. He or she? Uh, she. She's been in the episode quite a bit, actually. Yes, she has. But I want you to do me a favor. <laughs> I want you to tell all your friends about us. <laughs> That's acceptable. Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network.